Welcome to New Life, everybody. Right on. Yeah, if you guys would go ahead and find a seat, that'll be great. That'll be great. I want to say, uh, really, happy 4th of July to everybody, right? Yeah, it's great. It's great. I mean, it's not 4th of July yet, but you know, you know what I mean. You, you, got, you got the point. Uh, I want to say hello to uh, everybody that's worshiping with us down in the venue as well. Uh, and, a, and a special hello to everybody in North Platte today. Uh, I know that we just had a big uh, event that was out at Centennial Park this week. And some of you guys may be here for the very first time in North Platte from that Bounce Outreach. And I want to say hello to you guys. So thank you so much for worshiping with us no matter where you're at. Even if you're online and worshiping with us today live uh, from wherever your travels take you. If you have family members that are sitting with you, though, that came in for the holidays, let me just hear you uh, just cheer really quick. If you got family members that are here with you that came in for the holidays. <clears throat> All right, if they're sitting next to you, just put your arm around them or take them by the hand and just squeeze them really tight, look them in the eye and tell them, you're my favorite relative. Just right now, just, just right now. Just do that, okay? You're my favorite relative. Uh, I want you to, I want, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of a warning that comes with that statement though. Be careful that if you say that to another relative later today, the one you said it to today will be offended. So be careful, be careful who you say that to. Um, all right, so it's the 4th of July weekend. We're celebrating uh, the freedom that we have as a country. I am personally thankful for the freedoms that we do have. I recognize that the freedoms that we have are constantly, it seems as if, under attack. But I'm still, nevertheless, completely thankful and have a massive heart of gratitude for all of those who have helped us gain this freedom. Amen? And help us maintain it. Um, I want to say to you today that uh, freedom is not something to be wasted. Freedom, freedom is not something to be taken for granted. Freedom is something that should not be abused. But freedom should be given every reason to survive, and we should be a part of that. And I'm talking about the freedom that we have even here in our country. And that freedom has to be protected. So we have a military. And for those of you who have served in our military or are currently serving in it, or you have family members that are serving in it, we are, I am personally, um, indebted to and forever grateful to all of those who have served in our military to help us maintain the freedom that we have. Amen? Amen. But there's other ways. You know, we, we fight to maintain the values that our country was built on. That's a part of maintaining or protecting our freedom. So we got the military, but we also have us. We have a job to do, right? And it's to fight to maintain. I don't mean fight in a negative sense, like to inflict harm on somebody. I'm just talking about fighting, grabbing a hold, anchoring yourselves in godly, biblical morals and values, and you know, fighting for those things, again, in a loving way, not in a harmful way, standing up for the cause of Christ to maintain or to protect the freedom that we have. But we also have a constitution and the Constitution was created. Um, and the more that we try to follow it, the more we protect our freedom. And then lastly, one of the things I want to mention is that we have a court system. And the court system is supposed to be a system that helps us to protect our freedoms that we have even to this day. And there's many other elements. All of those components all work together for us to protect our freedom. And if any one of those entities loses sight of its purpose or forgets why it exists then 
then our freedom immediately starts to deteriorate. And we've experienced that. So therefore, those entities that are out there that we just highlighted and mentioned are all like guardrails protecting our freedom. Right? Now this teaching series is called Guardrails. So I wanted to highlight for you the guardrails that are there protecting the freedom that we're celebrating this weekend together. But that's just one example of a guardrail. Kim and I just got back from Alaska. Um, If you're new to the church, then you probably don't know this, but we actually moved to Nebraska from Alaska. We lived up there for many years. And it's always been my goal to take my wife to the southeast part of Alaska, the part that is probably the most beautiful part, but the part that she never had a chance to see. And so I finally, we finally were able to pull it off, and we just got back from that a couple of days ago, and it was a blast. We had a, we had a great time, the mountains jetting up out of the ocean, and the snow-capped mountains, and glaciers calving, and, you know, whales, you know, whatever, spouting, I don't know what that's called, spitting, I don't know, breathing, whales breathing, breathing, yes, it's awesome. Um, whatever that is. And then, you know, just we were there on this, on this boat with 250 other pastors. It was a great time of fellowship, but it reminded us of when we lived there. And uh, we, we, when we lived there, one of the places we lived was Valdez, Alaska. There's only one road in the Valdez, and it's over a mountain pass. Now, the mountain pass, you know, where you go over it, it's not necessarily that the altitude is extreme, but it's Valdez. And Valdez, it, it sees like you know, 28 to 40 feet of snowfall every year. That's just normal. That's a lot of snow. So up, up in the pass, man, they've got some extreme guardrails in Thompson Pass. Um, they've got these guardrails that are here. Those things 12, 15 feet in the air just so that the snow plows that come through in the wintertime know where the road is at, right? When the road's gone. Uh, when the when the wind is blown and the snow drifts have come and they've got to get through there so that I can actually get out and go someplace um, or get in back to my house. We're thankful for guardrails like that. Um, it's, really, it's really good, especially when you get a lot of snow. But there are other roads that they deserve a guardrail and they don't have them. You know, like this is awesome. This road here is incredible. Um, I love the fact that we've got a guardrail on the side to stop the rocks from falling well, you just go ahead and drive off the road. Uh, you know, the, the average, the law of averages here, right? How many rocks fall when a car's there versus how many cars have the potential to go off the road? Which side should we potentially be thinking about the guardrail, folks? So um, some roads, they need guardrails. But again, it's just another example of a guardrail. Now, Jesus, Jesus gives us guardrails as well. These guardrails are to help us stay focused and stay living in what Chris, Pastor Chris helped us see last week, which is the narrow road that leads to life versus the broad road. I want to go back and I want to read that scripture that he highlighted for us last week. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. It says, Jesus said this, you, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. So, but watch this language. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. He says, but the gateway to life is very narrow, and the what? The road is difficult, and only a few really ever find it. This is a challenge from from Christ. But he also tells us that basically I've set up these guardrails that will help you figure out what the narrow road is. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. 
right? Because when you set up guardrails, um, spiritual guardrails, uh, people look at those and they look at them more as fences or as a suggestion instead of a command. The guardrails of God are, are not, um, they're, they're not a suggestion, but they are rather a command. And God gives us these so that we live on the road that leads to life. Because there is also this other road, which is much wider, that are living outside of the guardrails, which at any given moment you could be heading over a cliff and you don't even know it. So the instructions of Jesus that he gives us are vital. And all throughout the Bible, the Bible is basically one large guardrail trying to help us live our lives on the narrow road which leads to life. And so today I want to talk to you about one of the guardrails that Jesus brought to our attention. It's found in Matthew. Before we go there, I just want to highlight the fact that this teaching series is built out of the book of Matthew, chapter 23. All right? The book of Matthew... Chapter 23, Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, all right? So if you've got your, your iPhone or your Android device and you're following along with us on Uversion, which is a Bible app and you're, you're watching the event, then that is, that's awesome. You know, if you've got an analog Bible, then it's the very first book of the New Testament. If you don't know where that is, feel free to look at the table of contents and flip there or on your phone to scroll through until you find Matthew and then click on chapter 23. Now, why am I drilling that home so hard? I, wanna, I want you guys to practice with me a style of Bible reading over this teaching series that I believe will be very beneficial for your spiritual development and growth. I want you to practice the art of saturation, all right? Reading the Bible for a saturation effect more than just a gloss over effect. Um, I want you to consider reading with me Matthew chapter 23. Every day that you read the Bible, I want you to read Matthew chapter 23. Now, can you read other things? Absolutely you can. But the saturation effect is reading the same passage of Scripture over and over and over for a series of days in a row asking the same basic question. God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to say to me, right? And it's amazing how when you read the same passage over and over and over again, how all of a sudden truth begins to pop where you never saw it before. Versus, oh, I read that chapter last week, now I'm going on to the next chapter, now I'm going on to the next chapter. So the saturation effect can be very beneficial for you. The other thing that it does is it starts to ingrain that passage of Scripture into the very fabric of your heart, and possibly for, for some of you, even into a place of memorization, which when you get God's word into your heart, into a place of memorization, now you have a weapon that can be used to live your life inside of the guardrails and to keep you focused on that center line right down the middle of that narrow road that leads to life. That's why it's so important. So with that attitude, I want to jump into Matthew chapter 23. Today we're going to be preaching out of one verse, verse 15. Why don't you read it with me? It says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, right? You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, what do they do? You make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. <clears throat> now, isn't that encouraging? And you're like, man, how are you going to preach a whole message out of one scripture? Well, I'm going to do it because, number one, God's word brings life. Number two, this is... This is one of my more favorite verses. And it's not because Jesus uses the word hell. It's because this is a, this is a not just a, it's a guardrail, it's a boundary line for me as a pastor. 
The big, big thing that these guys were screwing up, the big thing, was that their heart was in such a place that they won converts to Judaism instead of winning hearts to God. And I am a pastor who wants to have a church that has maximum influence on the communities in which God allows us to plant. That means the more people that we win into the kingdom, the greater the influence that's out in the community. I want, to, I want a church that's packed out over and over and over again. If we had to hold three services in North Platte and in Kearney every single day in all of our auditoriums, we would do it. If it was winning people into the kingdom and if it was empowering people to go out and to be the light of Christ in our community, we would do it because we want to have the maximum amount of impact. But with that said, I'm not interested in winning people to new life. I'm interested in winning people to Jesus. That's where these guys really screwed it up. So why is this one of Jeff Baker's more favorite verses? Because it helps me maintain my heart in the right place when I'm looking at statistics and I'm looking at numbers and I'm thinking about how do we grow the church. I'm constantly reminded I don't want to end up turning people into twice the son of hell as I am. Because if I get my motives in the wrong place, I can really screw it up. And that's why Jesus starts this out with saying, whoa, basically stop in your tracks, guys. Stop what you're doing. Think with me for a moment because what you're doing isn't producing the kind of outcome that you think it is. Your motive is in the wrong place. Your heart's in the wrong place. Woe to you. Woe to you. You guys have become hypocrites. This woe was a warning to these guys. And this passage is a warning to us today. But that warning also, it came from a compassionate heart of God, not a judgmental heart of God. Pastor Chris helped us understand that. In fact, last week was week one of this teaching series. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go to mynewlifechurch.com and watch that or listen to it because it was dynamic. It really set up this teaching series in a beautiful way. And I don't have time to deal with all that stuff. So you're going to have to go back and you have to read it or or look at it and watch it and listen to it for yourself if you really want to understand the premise of where this teaching series is coming from. But Jesus was giving this out of a compassionate warning. It was more of like, whoa, guys, whoa, you're breaking my heart here. You're breaking my heart. You're not winning people to the Father. We're wounding people along the way. We're damaging people. People are being turned into twice the son of hell as you are. Whoa, stop in your tracks. Come on. So in this whole passage, this verse What's the big guardrail that Jesus is trying to address here? I want to sum it up by just simply saying it this way. That the guardrail he's dealing with is this. Misguided influence is destructive. Jesus isn't saying to them that your misguided influence when you're, you're going and you're doing these things can be destructive, guys. He's saying your misguided influence is out there and it's causing extreme destruction in the hearts of others. Whoa, guys, stop for a moment. So misguided influence. I think the first thing that I want to help you understand is this. Every single one of you has influence. Influence, that ability, that ability to, you know, uh, 
present yourself in such a way that other people want to maybe model their life, their belief, their attitude, the way that they live, whatever it is, after you. It could be the way that they fix their hair. could be the way that they talk. could be the way that they dress. You know what I'm talking about. You've been influenced as well. And don't tell me you haven't. Everybody in here has influenced someone, and you've influenced others. So if you're a parent in here, um, you know you're influencing your kids because you're giving them rules and you're rewarding them for when they do things that are right, that's influencing them to make the right decision. If you're here today, um, I want you to think with me about your mom or your dad, all right? Now, they might be alive, and they may have passed away. I want you to think of them in an honoring kind of a way, but I want you to drift with me all the way back to when you were a teenager, and you said what I said, I'll never be like my parents. And now I want you to think about yourself. How many little, little things have, have you been doing that look and sound a lot more like your parents? Right? The way that you behave. Sometimes even the way, even the way that I, even the way I carry myself sometimes, I, I go, wow, that, that's the kind of stuff my dad does. You know, whether it's like, you know, fixing my, fixing my sleeves, you know, I like to, like to fix my clothes. I watch my dad, man, my dad wears this suit, and man, he's like, pop, you know, like, poof. Pops that thing. Uh, he, he, just, he just has that way he carries himself. And I look at myself in the mirror and I'm going, man, I look a lot more like you than I ever thought. Some of that can be good and bad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> some of it, oh, that hurt. Um, some, some of it can be good and bad, right? We, we end up, we're like, I don't ever want to be like that. But then you are. Or you take a trip to the south and you hang out with your friends from the south for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden you got a little twang to your voice, right? Or you were just living in Nebraska. I don't know, one or the other, right? You, there all these little things that are good. Some of them are harmless. Others of them can be very destructive, all right? And so anyways, you have influence on people. I was just with a group of pastors and we were uh, in a bus in the Baltic uh, states of Europe. And it was just a small group of pastors in this kind of a mid-sized bus. And we're, we're riding along. And I've got my, I've got my, I'm sitting on the aisle with my wife. And i got my leg crossed over, right, just riding on the bus, talking with another pastor from Minnesota. And so i got my leg crossed over, and my, my pant leg is up like this. You guys see those things? Those are sweet. I got two of them. This is the new look, by the way. If you guys want to be influenced, start wearing your jeans like this around town. I dare you. Um, so anyways, I'm sitting there, right? I got my leg crossed over. And, he, and he's talking with me, but he keeps looking down at my socks, of which you probably can't stop looking at either. And um, I notice he's looking at my socks. And then all of a sudden, he says this word. Someone's taking a picture. Thanks. Appreciate that. Love you. Love you too. That'll end up on Facebook. All right. So I'm sitting there. He keeps looking at my socks. And all of a sudden he says this. He goes, dude, those are some bright socks. And I look down. I didn't think anything of it because I'm like, yeah, man, my wife laid them out. I just put them on. And then he goes, he looks back down the aisle of the bus and all these pastors are sitting with their you know, leg over to the other leg or their legs up on something. You can see their socks. Everybody on the bus, all of the, all of the guys that are pastors, all have bright socks, right? And he goes, I know the very first thing I'm going to do when I get home, 
I'm going to go buy some bright socks because evidently, you know, I'm missing out. And I looked down at his socks, and his socks were just plain white ones. And I was like, dude, dumb, dumb, dumb. You just got white socks, can't believe it. But isn't that interesting how just socks truly influence this guy? Seriously. That's super shallow. I got it. Okay? But it's just to give you an idea of how influence works. There are many times you're influencing people and you don't even realize it. And that's why misguided influence can be so destructive. It can cause so much harm to people that are around you. But God created you to be influenced. He created you to see both sides of a story, to be able to reason about both sides of a story, to be able to research both sides of a story. Even to commit and give your life to Christ, you had to be influenced. You were influenced in two different ways. One, you were influenced by those who were Christ followers. And you looked at their life and you researched it. You were influenced by God's word as you read it. You were influenced by the church that you were at and the community of believers that were there. But you were also influenced in another way. You were influenced by the way the world was leading their life. And eventually you came to a point where you said, I don't want that. I want this. I want to give my life to Christ. Influence brought you to the ultimate climax, which meant you had to make a choice. And God's very serious about influence. He gave it to all of us, and he wants us to use our influence to produce life and not to cause destruction. That's why Jesus said to these teachers of the law, he said to them, you know, with passion in his heart, you guys go and you win a single convert? Are you serious? You win a single convert? And you turn him into twice the son of hell as you are, but he recognized that you are wielding your influence, but it's a destructive influence, and it's going to cause damage to the next generation. Why was that so passionate to Jesus? Because that's the mantra, the, the theme. That's the whole reason why Jesus was even here, was to give his life on the cross and to influence the generations to come that we might be saved. It's his whole mission. His mission was to you know, go and make disciples. And later on, you hear him say it, even in Matthew 28. So I put it up there for you to say, to see it. Therefore, go and what? Go and make disciples? That's a statement of influence. Go and make a disciple? You realize today that it's not easy to make a disciple. I mean, that's not easy. That takes a lot of energy, resource, planning, finances, patience. You have to meet people where they were at. And Jesus was speaking to these teachers of the law and he's saying to them, you guys, you wield your influence and you walk into a community where people are pluralistic in their their worship of God. They got multiple gods and you're transforming their mindset into a mono thought where it's one God and you're, you're transforming their behavior and you're asking them to change their beliefs and to change their culture and to change maybe the way they dress. You're, you're, you're doing everything to win a single convert. Unfortunately, your influence is destructive. Because it's misguided. It's misguided. Isn't it scary to think? Isn't it scary to think that we could be giving it all only to have misguided 
influence that brings destruction? See, guys, today, that's the point I'm trying to drive home. I'm trying to drive home the point that misguided influence, it will always bring destruction. One of my greatest fears, just just one of them, one of my greatest fears is to succeed at something that in the end doesn't really matter. I don't know about you. I don't want to be somebody that at the end of my days, I have done something with such great excellence only to find out that it never really mattered. It's one of my greatest fears. Maybe even as I say that to you, you're going, man, so true. I don't want my life to be lived in a way that I succeed and I excel only to find that I've gotten nowhere. So be careful today. The applause of man. Good job. Way to go. Pat you on the back. Tell you how incredible you are. The applause of man could be the very thing that's drowning out the correction and the instruction that God's trying to bring to your life. You might be over the guardrail, living on the broad path that's leading to the death. Your influence is so misguided that it's going to cause destruction. But the applause of man hinders your ears from even hearing the voice of God going, you're outside the guardrails. You need to get back in. Be careful of that. Be careful. Watch for that. Watch for it. It's something that I'm trying to tune my own ear to hear. I don't want the applause of man to drown out the voice of God because the voice of God's always going to try to get me in the guardrails. And many times the applause of man could easily cause me to jump over the guardrails and live my own independent nature. The other thing to be careful of, you know, woe to you, warn you, is be careful about, you know, where we're investing because you could be investing into something, you know, even in a, in a good sense. I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about spiritually in a sense that you're investing into something only to find out that it's, it becomes a false gold, a fool's gold in the end. That your treasure that you've been thinking that you've been building the whole time, you've been given 110%, but you never stop to ask God, is this what you want me to do? See, we love to be people that are 110% people. I'm all in. But if you never stop to ask God, is that what you want me to do? You could get to the end and have a whole treasure and just be false gold. When we were just in Alaska, uh, we went to Skagway, which is one of the premier stops for people that went to Alaska for the gold rush. And we were told about the thousands and thousands of people that spent their life savings and journeyed for weeks and weeks to get up there to only discover that they can't even get a plot to even mine. And we were told about others that they mined and they, they spent all of their money and they got all the resources and they got out there and they mined and then they got this huge amount of what they thought was gold to bring it into the town and put it on a scale only to be laughed at and told to get out because it's just fake. It's just false. How would you feel, right, if you spent all your life savings and you journeyed up there and you told your wife, hey, babe, I'll come back. Maybe it, it might be a year, but... I'm going to come back and, man, we are, our ship's coming in. And we're going to have all the money that we need only to dump out your life savings onto a scale and be told it's worth nothing. Misguided influence causes destruction. 
So the big question today then is this, right? How do we get, how do we, how do we line ourselves up so that our influence produces life and not destruction? Well, what do we have to do? We need to go back to verse 15 of Matthew 23. We have to get honest, really honest about something. Jesus says, you guys traverse land and sea to win the single convert, but when you win that convert, you turn him into twice the son of hell, and here's the key words, as you are. See, that's the influence. You and me, we produce who we are. Like it or not, that's what we produce. We produce the good and we produce the bad. And in these guys' scenario, their heart was wicked. Their heart was in the wrong place. Their heart was full of the son of hell, if you will. And Jesus is saying, that's why you're producing those that are twice the son of hell. And if you read in the book of Acts and you see what Paul had to deal with, and you read, you read on in some of his other writings, you see what Paul had to deal with, you'll see that what Jesus spoke to them was like a prophecy. It came true, and it lashed itself out even against Paul. He, they turned them into, because their influence was misguided and it was destructive, you and me need to answer the question today, and that's this. Is there any part of our heart that could be harboring the son of hell? Meaning, is there any part of my heart that could be full more of sin? Because wherever that is, I'm going to reproduce that. I know this. I don't want to be that guy. But I know, one, I know a couple things about me. Number one, I know this from Psalms 51, that I was born, and when I was born, I was born into sin. My life was started out in sin. I know that Romans 3.23 tells me that for all have sinned, and we've all fallen short of God's glory. That means all of us started out with misguided influence that was going to be destructive unless it gets adjusted and we get back inside the guardrails and we start living for Christ. And that means that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 is so powerful for me because it reminds me that my life is being transformed into the image of God. How often? As often as I let Jesus do his work in me. And today, that's why I challenge you. Ask yourself the question and then listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Ask the question, God, if there be any of that son of hell heart living in me, shine your light on it today and expose it that I might get my life right with you so that my influence isn't misguided, but it is very much guided on the narrow path and that I would even help others find their way onto it. So today, how do you get that child or son of of hell heart out? First, heed the warning that found in Matthew 23. When you saturate yourself with this passage and you read it over and over and over again, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Heed the warning, meaning hear it with an attitude of adjustment. Hear it with an attitude that you would say, if my life represents that at all, I want to change it. The second thing I would suggest for you to do is read God's word for the action steps of change, not just to fill your head with biblical knowledge. Don't read it so that you can walk around in the next little setting that you're in and look so smart. Read it saying, God, show me the action steps for who? For me. For me. 
Now, here's what we do. We read God's word for action steps. We do. It's normally for someone else, though. I can't believe the way that person's living. Look at that verse. I'm going to go tell them about that because they, they need to change their life to match up with that verse. It's a lot easier to read God's word for the action steps for others. It's a lot harder to read God's word for the action steps for us. Let me tell you, let me tell you a couple of other ones, though. Another one is this. Be in community with other believers. When you're in community with other believers, meaning you're in, you're in you know, regular fellowship, we like to call them life groups. Life groups will be starting up again in September. I know that's a long ways away, but they will start up again. But out of those life groups, you can build, you can build relationships that last a lifetime. But when you're in spiritual community with others, one of the pros that you get from that is you get a group of people that love you, and you get a group of people that over time, they'll see your blind spot. And let me tell you, you've got a blind spot that might just harbor this child of hell heart inside of it. And if you get in community with other believers, those believers that love you will not attack you for it, but over time they will point it out to you. And if they point it out to you and you're willing to humble yourself and say, okay, I'm going to heed that warning because it comes from a safe source, from somebody who loves me, not trying to attack me, then when you heed that and you come to God, now God can cleanse that And now your influence isn't going to be a misguided influence that causes destruction, but in that area of your life, you're going to start bringing life even to others. Because you let God deal with you. So for me, you know, my wife and my team, they bring that to me. And so guys, if you're here, your wives can see your blind spots. And if you ask them, if you ask them, they'll tell you. If you'll listen. And wives, the same thing is true. What is real love? Real love is the ability to see one another's blind spots but love the person in spite of it, but to love them enough not to leave them there. That would be true love. True love looks beyond what you see in the blind spot, but it says, I love you enough, I'm not going to leave you there. But there are a couple of other things that I would highlight for you. Another one would be this. You know, be purposeful to lead people to Jesus, not new life. This passage was dealing with making a disciple, right? Passion of Jesus' heart. And when you're out there and you're inviting people to come to church, please make sure that when you're inviting them to come to church, you're inviting them with the attitude that you're, you're wanting to win them to Jesus, not just win them to fill a seat at the church. Because filling a seat at the church does not equate eternal life. Filling a seat of the throne of your heart with Jesus, now that equates to eternal life. So when we're talking to people about making a disciple, let's, not, let's make sure we're not making a disciple of new life, but we're making a disciple of the kingdom of heaven and a relationship with Christ. That's a way to keep our hearts in the right place and not let it get corrupted with misguided influence. But lastly, I would just say this to you, never forget where you came from. Never forget the sin that you came from. Never forget the fact that, sin, that sinful nature wants to corrupt your heart again. And by never forgetting, give thanks to God for where he's brought you from. When we give thanks to God and we recognize that gratitude, that has the ability to purify our influence. It has the ability for us to be life-giving, meaning we're leading people to the Savior 
and we're not detracting them or distracting them or putting stumbling blocks in their way. Never forget where you came from. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it's somewhat long, but it gives us a great understanding of never forgetting where you came from. Take a look at this as I wrap it up. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. I can identify with that. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He, the devil, that is, is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. We all used to live that way. Not some of us, all of us, including me. By your own nature, we were subject to God's anger because of our sinful nature, just like everyone else. However, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much, check it out, that he even thought we were, uh, that he even, that even though, excuse me, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And I am thankful for that. It's only by his grace. So church, today, here's here's the big question. There's a wide road that leads to death. Okay? Wide. Inside of that are some guardrails. And there's this narrow portion. It leads to life. And the big question today is, which side of the guardrails are you on? Which side are you on? Right? With your whole life, but then again with just individual parts of your life. Because I know where Jesus is standing. Jesus is standing inside of the guardrails and he's asking, come and join me. Come join me in the road that leads to life. And that's what I'm challenging you with today as well. Come join him. If he's speaking to your heart about a, about a portion of it or he's speaking to you about all of it, come join him on the narrow road that leads to life. But the second, the second thing is this. Are you creating on-ramps, like Pastor Chris talked about last week, are you creating on-ramps, right, for other people to get onto the narrow road that leads to life? Meaning, are you living your life in such a way that you're modeling Jesus? Are you using your influence in such a way that you're pointing people to Jesus? And maybe, ultimately, are you using your influence to lead people to Jesus? Are you creating on-ramps for others to get into the narrow road? Or are you in the narrow road, standing there, looking into the broad road, going, too bad for you guys. Wow. I don't even know what to do to help you. If you're on the narrow road that leads to life, we should be doing all that we can to try to help people on the broad road jump over the guardrail into the kingdom of God. What's that called? Influence. (laughs) Wielding your influence in such a way that people are going, not just, I want to wear your socks, but they're saying, I want to follow the same Jesus you're following. I want to know more about that. Because, man, if you can influence somebody with socks, that's temporal. If you can influence somebody in their heart to follow Jesus, now you've given them true life. 
So it all comes down to what side of the guardrail you're standing on. Because if you're standing on the inside, you can help people get in. But if you're standing on the outside, you can't help people get in. Your first move is to get inside the guardrails on the narrow road that leads to life so that you can influence others to get in with you. And with that note, we're going to go to a time of worship. And as we do, the big question that you and me should be asking ourselves today is this. Let's be humble. God, show me the part of my heart that looks more like the child of hell than the child of life. And wherever he shows you, then surrender that to him. You might surrender that to him at an altar. You might surrender that to him by raising your hands in a time of worship. You might surrender that to him in just a moment of prayer. But surrender it to him so that your influence in that area of your life isn't misguided and causing destruction, but it's, it's very purposeful and it's causing life. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, I am so, so blown away and influenced by your incredible mercy and your grace today. Lord, as I, as I think about the cross, I am, I'm influenced to want to bow down and worship you. As I think about your word and the commands in your word, God, I'm influenced to want to get my life right and get my life focused and make my life even more purposeful than it's ever been before. As I think about, God, the stories of those that are in our auditoriums today and the amazing transformation you've brought to so many people, I am influenced to praise you about how, for how incredible you are. How amazing you are at changing us and making us into the men and women that you want us to be. I'm blown away. God, now, as we worship you over these next few moments, we invite your Holy Spirit to continue that influential work in our hearts, stirring us to a moment of decision that's going to bring change, to humble ourselves, to repent, to worship you, to go all out for you, to live a life for you that is shining bright so that the world might be influenced with the cause of Christ that lives in us and shines through us. So over these next few moments of worship, Lord, will you show up in these auditoriums? Will you show up in our hearts? Will you meet, will you meet the person that's standing here today for the very first time? Will you meet them face to face? Will you meet the person that's been in new life for years and years? Will you meet them fresh again today? Will you stir a passion inside of their hearts to know you, to live for you, and to shine bright for you, God? That our influence would cause the masses to follow Jesus. That our influence of, of our spiritual influence Lord, would cause others to turn their face to you and worship you as well. In Jesus' name, amen.